Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. Today, I am back again on a sunny Swedish day with Yusip Roine. What's up, my friend? Hey, Toby, sunny in Finland as well. So my home office has a fairly big window next to me. And I often often look outside to see what the weather is like, so I don't have to open a weather app. So for me, the big thing is my sofa. So we have a great sofa at home. I bought it brand new about seven, eight years ago. It's a Finnish model and the factory is super close to me. So I figured I will support somebody local this time. You're not getting of, it from IKEA? No. So I oh, think no. <laughs> I think I'm more or less done with IKEA for now. <laughs> and after three kids jumping up and down on the sofa for about seven, eight years, uh, the sofa felt a bit, you know, tired, a bit saggy. It was still okay, but when you sat on it, you kind of felt that okay, this is this is really used. Uh, so I called the factory and said, Hey, listen up, I, I really like the sofa. It it cost me quite a bit. And I do realize it's been seven or eight years. So anything you could do for this? And five minutes later, I get an email. Sure, we, we can replace the cushions. It, it will be this, 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 and this. And they had this detailed list of the, of the things they would do. And they even offered to pick up all of the, the, the pieces of the sofa that you can remove from it. So, so they sort of left the skeleton of the sofa for me and took everything else. So they replaced the, the internals and the cushions and everything else. And they brought them back the next day. And it cost me 400 euro. And the sofa cost me about 2000, seven years ago. So I figured, okay, it's about 20%. So I'm okay with this. And now the sofa feels like brand new again. And two minutes after we got it, my two-year-old hops on the sofa, hoping to jump on it. And I'm, I'm like, no, not anymore. Nobody's jumping on this <laughs> Here we anymore. go again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm hopeful that it will give me a few more years. And then again, I can go to Ikea to find a new sofa. There you go. <laughs> and how about for you? What's up? So I, it's also relating to furniture on my end. I rearranged my office furniture so I don't have to stare into the wall. So a while back, I think now, maybe half a year or a year ago, I redecorated or um, yeah, moved things around and rearranged a bit in my office. So I got more floor space. And to do that, I had to put the desk facing the wall, and which is a typical setup for a lot of people. But I, I felt now that I, I feel a bit claustrophobic just staring into a gray wall. So I turned things around and I put my desk pretty much in the middle of the room where I, you know, if I look beyond my monitor, I see my bookshelves a couple of meters away and I have the TV on the wall and, and I have my big panoramic window with boats going outside on the sea and whatever. So I can actually see more than actually just my monitor. And that makes such a huge difference. So I can feel I've had it like this for two days now and I feel incredibly productive because I don't get the fatigue in my brain and my eyes that I otherwise got when I had, uh, had the, the things turn around because the only thing my eyes could see was the monitor and whatever strain comes with just looking at the monitor. 
So now I find myself looking beyond and around the monitor a lot, even as I'm working, even right now when I'm talking to you, I'm actually looking at things in my room, I'm looking outside the window and I can enjoy other things. So I, I immediately feel a lot better with my eyes, not straining them so much and, and like the, the subtle headache you can get just staring into a screen for too long goes away. So that's, you know, no big changes, no, no uh, refurbishing the entire sofa like you did. I just shuffled things around a little bit and it made all the difference in the world. So if you, like me, find yourself in a position where you sit at the, the desk or stand like I do in front of the desk for a long time and you might get strained eyes, try to shuffle things around so you don't just stare into a wall. Try to stare into something which is a bit more void or have more space behind, uh, behind the monitor. It helped me a lot. So that's it, that's for me. All right, it makes perfect sense. I might need to do something like that myself as well. So today's episode is managing the crops with Azure Farm Beats. This is it's, something it's a bit different. different topic than we usually talk about, huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So this caught my eye late last year. Uh, this was announced, and I think it was during Ignite last year, but I, I'm not entirely sure. Anyway, uh, in 2019 November, Azure Farm Beats was announced. And when you have a look at the product page, the promise is that it, it's about democratizing agriculture intelligence. What does this tell you? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I read up a lot about uh, Farm Beats. So, so what it tells me is making more data available to make uh, good decisions for your for your farm uh, or your land, if you will, um, and and one of the videos that I watched around this, um, the farmer, which is in somewhere in Washington, he figured out a way using these devices and using Azure Farm Beats, figured out a way to have, um, you know, the whatever he has to sow every year, he could have that like the seeds and, and everything that he had to put into it, but he still got the same results just because the system told him with all this data coming in, he told him, well, you shouldn't actually plant it like this because of the irrigation and the slopes and the heat and the warmth and the moisture and the soil and whatever, which we can dwell into a bit later. But based on all this sensory data that you know became available at your fingertips, he could produce twice as much with half the um, raw product as he had before. So that was pretty cool. So uh, a way for you to do things smarter and save money in the end and save the environment. Definitely, and perhaps just to make clear, we're not talking about SharePoint farms, we're talking about real farms that produce <laughs> usually real food. Um, so the product allows you to assess your farm health and there's there's plenty of capabilities here and and some of those include the vegetation index and the water index the latter one uses satellite imagery obviously giving you a bit more better data as well and then you can use sensors to get the soil moisture data uh, read automatically and it combines all of this so the vegetation index the water index the, the soil moisture uh, data and I think you can also add additional data in there and it gives you actionable insights to artificial intelligence and or machine learning 
And keep in mind that Farmbeats, it's a product, but at the same time, I sort of feel it's like a proof of concept that this is how you utilize these Azure services to build something for a traditional industry. And it sort of opens up the opportunities for others, perhaps partners, to, to build on top of this or to expand this solution. Yeah. So what I like about this, um, and, and when, I, when I dwelled into this, because, and I can relate a lot to this because a lot of my friends are farmers. Where I live in Sweden, there's a lot of plain fields. There's a lot of farmland. So a lot of the friends I grew up with, their parents had a farm or have a farm still. Some of the friends I grew up with work on that farm. Uh, so there's a lot of you know farm plots and farmland around me. So I can see the opportunities. So I, I started to immediately like kind of dwell into this. And what I like about this, you mentioned you get uh, soil mo moisture maps and you can uh, you know get this all kind of sensory data. What I really like is that it's kind of a fusion between different types of data that you can get in. You can get uh, satellite imagery. So you get the actual satellite images off your own farmland or your plot. And then you can get this into your systems. You can visualize things like heat maps and whatever. And you have the sensory data that you can get out of the IoT devices you plug into the land. And then you can have drones flying over to measure things. And the reason why that's important to mention is it's a combination or fusion of these things that provide you the best data. But also, if you have a farm, and I know this, obviously, because I spent a lot of time on the farms around here when I grew up, um, you cannot have devices plugged into the ground because you will ride over it with a five-ton tractor, right? You cannot just have things poking out of the ground here and there because you're going to tear that soil up with a heavy-duty machine. That's why the, when I looked at this, what they mentioned is we need the sensory data from the ground, but not as many devices as you might think. So you have one device and then you know, way back where you almost cannot see the next device comes, comes the next one. So you don't have them like spread, spread out everywhere. So use a combination of land devices or, or sensors, IoT devices plug into the ground, but then, you know, the drones, which does not impact your tractors running over the land and then the satellite images. So I really like this kind of fusion of technology, bringing IoT and cloud together. Um, so, you know, that, that was one of my, eye openers because I know how it works in the fields, uh, kind of just behind my house, we have great fields, corn fields and all these kind of things. And I know how it works. You cannot just plug a device into the ground and expect it to stay there. So they will run over it. So this was, I, I'm very impressed with how well thought out this concept actually is. This reminds me, I think it was in 2015 that Microsoft Ignite, the conference was held in Chicago. And that was probably the first time for me to actually spend some time in Chicago. And, and we rented a car with a bunch of friends and I asked at the rental agency, so where should we go? What, what would you suggest we spend two days on the road? And the guy goes, well, this is Chicago. So there's, there's farms and cornfields, nothing else. <laughs> so, so perhaps this could be something for there as well. Uh, so I really like the angle here. So it's part IoT, but it's more about this service. The architecture is, is in a way, it's fairly simple. You have something called the Azure Farmbits Data Hub, and this is the API layer. And, and I would say this is, this is the, uh, 
the brains of the whole service. And then you have something called Azure Farmbit Accelerator, which is the front-end web app that talks with Data Hub, the API layer. And you can utilize the API yourself. Uh, but my understanding is that the web app is given as is. So the purpose is not that you start tinkering with the web app, but the purpose is that you ingest your custom data through the API layer, and then the web app will, will sort of light up with that additional data. Yeah, and, and I, I really like this because it's more about fine-tuning and creating your own AI and machine learning models. So based on all the data you get, you can then figure out what you need to do with your farmland in order to achieve whatever goals you set up. In addition to this, a question that arose, because I, I spoke with, let's call him Eric, uh, because that's his name. He has a farm uh, just behind my house, and I talked to him because I know him very well. And I, I introduced this concept to him, and not specifically Asher Farm Beats, but a connected farm. How would you want to have a connected farm where uh, all these devices talk to one another, send it over Wi-Fi to your cloud system, uploading it to get all the intel you need to make smarter decisions? And his only question was, look, I have, I don't know what it is in miles, but he, he has a lot of hectares, let's call it that, a lot of hectares of land there's no Wi-Fi signal that can cover that. Like it's a lot, a lot, a lot of land. And so I looked into that and apparently what Microsoft did, Microsoft Research, and this is extremely technical, so I don't know the details of it. But the short story is these devices can talk to one another over the antenna network. You, you know, when you plug in an antenna to your old TV and you get the, the, the few channels available, and then you swap the channel and you get to the white noise, you know, the, uh, the white and black kind of dots flying around. So what Microsoft found a way to do is leverage Wi-Fi signals in the white noise channels, which is pretty impressive. So the only thing you need is an antenna. And an antenna can send signals for a long way, right? So you plug one of those big antennas on your farm, and then all your devices can, using this kind of hidden channel, which is the white noise channel on the TV network, send Wi-Fi signals. Pretty cool. So you can connect all your devices without actually having the, the Wi-Fi range across your entire land. I am super impressed by this. This reminds me uh, a few years ago, uh, all the rage was in companies building IoT buttons, like physical buttons, and you would click on it and it would trigger something in the cloud. I purchased one of those for demos mostly, and, and one of those models supported Wi-Fi, of course, but then they also supported something called Sigfox, which I understood is this IoT network connectivity. And I was immediately thinking about this when I read about Azure Farmbeats. So connectivity definitely is something you need to fix and, and worry first. And oftentimes when I visit with people and friends who don't live in big cities in Finland, they are always complaining about connectivity. And it's not because it wouldn't be possible, but it might be too expensive or too problematic, or they simply don't know what they can do with, with whatever uh, network connectivity gear you can nowadays have for fairly cheap. Yeah, there's a lot of solutions to these problems today, and I'm, I'm just impressed. I'm blown away by this. So what do you need? You need a farm. That's the thing first. So go and acquire one. Then, yeah, then go buy some here. land <laughs> so we can <laughs> yeah. try this out. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was a bit bummed. Yeah, I don't have a farm. I, li I live in, in the city. 
but then I remembered that my, my father-in-law, uh, he has a farm. So we go there frequently. So the next time I go there, I will, I will definitely start thinking about this. So I sort of have access to a farm. And then the next thing you need is sensors. And currently Azure FarmBait supports uh, sensors from three different companies. So there's built-in support for Davis Instruments, Derolytics, and Pestle Instruments. Uh, and I had a quick look. And these are industrial heavy grade sensors. So these are not those tiny four euro 99 IoT things that you can kind of discard. These are large sensors you, you really uh, hammer down in the ground. And I saw that, I think it was the Terralytics one, that was about $12,000 for a pack of five. So you really need to go all in. But there's support uh, for custom sensors. So if you have something more affordable or something you already own, you can build support. So you need to build a translator component from your custom sensor to the Azure Farm Beats Data Hub, the API layer. Yeah, and I, I looked at this as well, and, and I really like how that, uh, well, I, li I like the promise of that. So you have these kind of partner integration points as well. So if you're a partner and you, you provide IoT devices to the world, there might be an option for you to provide devices here as well, um, where you can be a sensor partner integration. You can build solutions that send device data to FarmBeats from your own devices. You can do a weather partner integration and send custom weather data uh, from your weather devices into FarmBeats. Or you can uh, create imagery partner integrations and sending custom imagery data to FarmBeats. So that can come from drones, cameras, satellites, and anything else. So that's, you know, the, the integration points are many and you can build them. But just like you mentioned, if you have a professional farm and you have, you know, the, the real need for this, then these industry grade existing components might be a good way to go because they are solid, they are tested, and they work. So you can pretty much plug and play. So I, I watched on Channel 9, they did a video from Ignite 2019, I believe it was. And uh, they, they kind of showed this plug and play. You have a device and you just plug it into your system and it's automatically connected. It shows up in the dashboard in this uh, app you mentioned, the accelerator. And from here, you can just decide what is this thing? What is it supposed to do? How do I want to do with my data? And you can immediately start to, well, play with your data. So plug and play with an emphasis on playing with the data, not having to install anything because, and I think this is an important point. If you're a farmer, you don't know, or you might not know, or that's not your core, core focus anyway about IoT devices or connected cloud or anything like that. You just want to get this device to send data to give you smart insights and decisions so you can take action. So plug and play, super important. And with all these components, you get that. So that's pretty sweet. And so how about installing it then? And I openly admit I haven't completed the installation yet because I'm still sort of thinking You're how do I You're still searching for farmland. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the first thing. And, and the farm that I have sort of access to, meaning that I can go walk around there and nobody will, will shoot me, uh, that's about three hours away from me. So I'm planning to visit there in the next month or so. Uh, so installing this, and I openly admit I haven't completed this, but 
I did spend a lot of time going through the screenshots on the installation. So I'm sort of an expert on this now. And uh, so what you need, you need at least three soil moisture sensors. So one of the supported ones or whatever you have, but you have to build the, the integration support for that. And then for the actual provisioning of the service, you do need to create one Azure AD application for permissions. There, there's a PowerShell script that you execute and that does all, all the fancy things. And then you need something called a Sentinel-2 account. And this is not Azure Sentinel, the, the security thing. This is the uh, European Space Agency Sentinel satellite service. So you need access there and they have a free tier. So you provision a Sentinel account so that you can pick up the satellite imagery for your Azure Farmbit solution. And once you have these, you click next, next, next on Azure Marketplace. And what the installation does, it provisions a large set of services. And I, I actually listed them here. So let me read through which services it will provision. There will be application insights, web app, and the app plan, API connection, Redis Cache, Cosmos DB, Azure Data Factory, Azure Batch, Azure Key Vault, Azure Maps, Event Hub, Logic App, Storage Account, Time Series Insights. In a way, reading through these, this seems like an exercise in how do we utilize as many services as possible to create a web app. Just give me an ARM template from the marketplace to deploy and I'm happy. You know, I, yep. I, I don't care about all the details, just get it up and running. And I think that's pretty much how you do it. You, you go through the, the marketplace and you get this. Yeah, I, I do appreciate though that they have interesting aspects there. They have the API, it's extensible. They've documented that. There's also a Docker container-based integration entry point built in there. And once, once you go through this, so you have the three sensors sending you data, you have the satellite uh, imagery access, then the features, what can you actually do with the web app? You can create farms, so you mark on a map, this is my farm. And that way you can then say, I've got the sensors here and there. And now you can also get the weather data from a service called DTN. I've never used it, but it looks super professional. And then when you have these in place, you can generate maps, the sensor placement, the satellite, satellite index map, the soil moisture heat map, and it cross-references the weather data, of course. And then you can also overlay the drone imagery on top of all of these. And once these are done, you can now start creating rules and alerts. If the average temperature on this end of the farm is X, let's do something. So, so in a way, you spend a bit of time, about an hour is the promise, on configuring everything. And, but once it's up and running, then the thing you're worried about is, is you create the rules and alerts and you, you just forget about the whole service. So when, when I reviewed this, what I really like and, and the takeaway from some of the farmers that tried it out is that they said that, you know, for generations, their, their parents, they walked through the entire field. It could take one or several days to walk through the crops, to see it, to feel it, to feel the, the soil, because there was no way to measure it back in the day. Um, and he said now he can focus on spending time with his family a lot more because these sensors, they are sensing the soil. They know the weather. They know if it's wet or too dry. They know if they need to pull out the water thing or not. 
so they, in, in the end, they doubled their crops and they got a lot more time with their family. And a lot of this comes from these rules and alerts because you can, after you set everything up, like this is what I expect, this is what I need. And based on the AI and the machine learning algorithms telling you where you might want to improve things or change things, you can spend time on different things. So I, I really like that. And obviously, if you want, you can then spend time on figuring out how to get drones up and running. So you have a lot of drones over the farm sending imagery to your, uh, to your FarmBeats cloud, um, which is, of course, super cool in theory. Um, but in, in the end, I really like this, how it enables you, especially for the really big farms. So where I live, I don't think the farms here are that big. But... The farms I, I reviewed in the U.S., I mean, they're big. They're really big. And it takes a long time. You have to jump in the car and drive for quite a bit to reach the other side. And, you know, having these connected farms, I can see a lot of potential. But in the end, if you're a farmer, I think you need to make the decision whether or not you want to kind of automate things. But I think the promise is good. And one of the things that I'm now thinking uh once I was driving uh, through Spain, I wanted to see all the cities and all the places in Spain I hadn't seen before. So we spent about three, four weeks on the road. And all the farms I saw, regardless of how, how big or small they were, they were always busy. So people were doing harvesting and, and, and they were really working on the farm. And I looked it up later on and I figured that, for example, in Spain, you can harvest year around. So you might have some sort of crop that, that you can harvest three times a year. And we don't have that in the Nordics because obviously we have the cold, dark winter uh, from about November to April, depending, of course, if you live in the North or the South. So I'm sort of thinking that if I get these sensors now, do I need to dig them up for the winter? Because nothing is apparently going to happen that time we only have snow and coldness and darkness uh, and then when the summer comes again then you push them back down but if you're in a, in a warmer climate then obviously you can use this year, year around so looking at the at the original promise democratizing agriculture intelligence i'm thinking now that this is a clever idea anybody who has an interest in getting more intelligence out from their farm and then of often the family business can now use a service and that the promise of the cost of running the service is about twelve dollars a day for all of the azure services that i that i mentioned before so i like the approach that anybody regardless of the size of your farm or, or how much capacity or how many, how many resources you have can actually get started with something like this. Yeah, I, th I think it's cool. So I, I don't think I have a lot more insights or questions around it at this point because I'm obviously not going to explore this further until I actually find my farmland. Um, but yeah, it's a very interesting concept and I've already sent all the documentation over to, uh, to the guy we, we call Eric. Who, who has the farm just next door. So three months from now, you, Sir Joby, will update their LinkedIn profile to, to something like 
senior farm admin Azure farm mates in this and this count in Sweden or Finland. Modern farmer. <laughs> but okay. So this was good. It's super interesting. And I am sure to try this out to a certain extent, perhaps on a smaller scale, but I will definitely spend some time building the custom sensor support so that I can actually try it out on a small scale and then perhaps scale it up a little bit to see how it works. Yeah, sounds good. All righty. Thanks for joining. This was Azure Farm Beats and until next time. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.